Hello and welcome to Pairing, a podcast where we pair wine with art and pop culture. I am your host, Emma Sherjarko, and I was thrilled to be joined by Brooke Jeanette, a fellow actor, podcaster, and wine retail person, to discuss Tim Burton's classic film, Beetlejuice. It was such a treat talking to Brooke both about this movie and a bunch about our favorite wines. If you don't know, Brooke is a co-creator, actor, and writer for the horror anthology podcast 13, which I have been on a couple episodes of. So if you haven't listened to it yet, please check it out. There's links in the show notes. You can find it wherever you find podcasts. Just a quick content warning on this one for suicide and suicidal ideation. We only discuss it in regards to this film, which I imagine most of you have seen, so if you weren't bothered by it in the movie, you probably won't be bothered here, but please take care of yourselves. Thank you so much to our patrons, and especially our producer-level patrons, Emma Cohen, Rena Sarame, Zoo Yorker, Caitlin Van Horn, and Michael Beck all of whom I would love to haunt a house with. If you would like to join these scarily generous people, come check us out at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast, where you can get access to all sorts of extras for as little as $1 a month. Without further ado, here is episode 83, Beetlejuice with Brooke Jeanette. Well, I am super excited to welcome to pairing for the first time Brooke Jeanette, a uh, fellow podcaster and um, kind of horror, uh, maybe not extraordinaire, but but you've you, you've at least got got your toes dipped in some horror podcasts. Yeah, I mean it's funny because before thirteen, I would have said I am a horror nothing. I do not yeah. do scary. <laughs> I do not do spooky. But uh, after working on 13, that has changed a lot. Uh-huh. Well, part of why I, I just wanted to mention horror, and we'll, we'll, we'll plug all your stuff at the end for sure, but uh, you suggested a very fun spooky movie, which I wouldn't call horror necessarily, but it's got some elements in there. Um, but it is a classic. So we're going to be talking about Beetlejuice. Uh-huh. Oh my god, it's so freaky when the when the um when the banister just turns into a snake. Uh it's so there are I mean, you know, there's parts of it obviously because like the animation, like it's all like claymation and stuff like that. It looks kind of hokey to us now, yeah. I would say. I think probably then too, like that's part of the point, I think, is kind of the campiness mm-hmm. of it. Um, I don't know. I'll be interested to get your thoughts on that. But but there are genuine moments of like, whoa, that's really scary. Yes, there are. <laughs> I think the first time I saw it, I was probably like three or four or something, or maybe not that young, but but maybe that young because my, my brother was a little older and I know he watched it. And so I probably watched it and it probably gave me nightmares um. <laughs> it definitely gave me nightmares, but it was one of two actually kind of similar movies to give me nightmares that I always wanted to watch again. Yeah. Um, it was Beetlejuice for me and Anaconda. Interesting. Well, you got kind of a, a snake theme going there. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> I, re- I also remember watching part of Anaconda when I was a kid <laughs> and then being like, nope, this is not for me. <laughs> 
But yeah, so my first question was going to be, like, what was your first experience that you can remember watching Beetlejuice? I can't remember specifically. I just know that it was, like, part of my childhood and was probably the first Tim Burton movie I saw. If Maybe Nightmare Before Christmas was the first. I was so into Tim Burton movies. I think Beetlejuice was probably one of the first. Although I kind of count the first Tim Burton movie as James and the Giant Peach because you can tell. Yep, totally. He didn't direct it, but you can tell his influence in it. Absolutely, Um, absolutely. That, That also might be one of the first I saw. And that's that's kind of a similar animation style in Beetlejuice, yeah. but Beetlejuice just like as a story has always been really compelling to me. Did you ever watch the animated series? I didn't. No. So good. Is it, it was good? Really okay. Fun. I'm gonna have to check it out. I also just saw because I was doing a quick IMDb, and apparently there's a Beetlejuice two in production. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, if the same cast comes back, I'm down. I'm so there for it if if it's like Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin have aged and <laughs> in, in death. <laughs> um, I'm super, super there for it. But yeah, I think this was one of the first, if not the first, at least big kind of production films that Tim Burton made. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's funny to think about. I mean, you and I wouldn't have had this awareness because we were too young, I think. But I wonder what it was like for people seeing this movie for the first time, like having no context for Kim, for Tim Burton. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like you said about it being hokey, the whole thing kind of watches like a long joke he's telling. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really, like he has all these punchlines and I feel like his style gets a lot finesse later on, but that is what makes this movie so great is that yes. it's kind of pure and unfiltered. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I also, I I wrote down here that this is like a gothic kid's dream movie. Okay. So <laughs> yes, as someone who heavily identified with Lydia Dietz and was yes. a big time emo kid back in the day. I mean, Oh, Absolutely. Ever since I was a little kid, I was so obsessed with this idea of Lydia. And in the animated series, she and Beetlejuice, if I'm remembering correctly, they're like friends. Oh, and nice. that was really interesting to me. And it was like the signature pinstripe suit. Of course. Yeah, just this idea. I forgot how sad Beetlejuice is. I was, I cried twice. I cried once totally. when I realized that Lydia like actually wanted to take her own life. And then I cried again at the end when she's, like, happy and they want to stay with her. Yeah, I know. It's really – it is really sweet, and I feel like it's it's kind of gearing up for, I think, Nightmare Before Christmas and, um, like, Edward Scissorhands and movies like Mm -hmm. that that he really kind of – pulls out the emotional stops a little bit more. Yeah. But this is kind of a, 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 a slightly more farcical predecessor to that. But that yeah. but that is there. And the other thing that I I thought I was surprised by in watching it again was how little Beetlejuice is actually in it. Yeah. Because um, I remember him being a much bigger part of the movie. And I think that's just a testament to Michael Keaton and how amazing he is his performance of this role is like still so incredible to watch 
It really is. It really is. And what was funny to me in in watching it, because I was like, was this before or after Batman? And it was a year before Batman, Mm. um, which I didn't I didn't realize. I kind of always thought that Batman came out first. And it was funny because I was like, oh, there are moments that are so Joker in this. But I feel like, you know, he did this before, Mm -hmm. you know, Jack Nicholson or anybody played the Joker. And um, I wonder how much people who have played the Joker actually kind of drew on Michael Keaton and Beetlejuice. That was one thing. I mean, maybe, maybe not. But there were some very, I don't know, iconic moments that I was like, oh, that that's something that I feel like people were definitely influenced by. Yeah, I mean, Beetlejuice really is like a Joker-style character. He's this loose cannon with, For sure. with not really anything to lose and some kind of past that's kind of muddy to us. Right. And then also, like, the color scheme is the same, which I think is really interesting. Yep, definitely. Definitely true. Yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, yeah the aesthetics of the movie are so iconic um, mm-hmm. and very, very Tim Burton, but also, like, very unique to this film as well. I think just the whole the whole house, you know, kind of the haunted house that sticks out in my mind. Yeah. And you and I were chatting before we started recording about us both having degrees in theater, but it's yeah. really theatrical. Definitely. It feels like a stage. Definitely. Absolutely. And it's a small ensemble cast, a small, mm-hmm. really strong ensemble cast. We're going to have to talk about Catherine O'Hara. And, of course. Of course. <laughs> but before we, before we dive into that more, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about wine because you, Brooke, not only are a fellow podcaster, but you also work in the wine industry. Um, and so you have a unique set of skills that... <laughs> I do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I work with a lot of people who, knew, who know a lot more about wine than I do, but I've been at the same shop for five years. So I know a lot about our wines. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm really ex- good at that. Exactly. And that's that's how I learned too, you know, it was just being familiar. And then once I got to a bigger wine store, there were more wines. But um, by all accounts, your wine store is awesome. When I come visit, I can't wait to come check it out. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. But one thing that you mentioned that I thought felt really right is that there's something about like Italian red wines that feels really right for this movie. And mm-hmm. that may just be because we both have a soft spot for Italian reds. <laughs> yeah, Who I was knows? like, do you want to drink Italian red wine together? <laughs> and I was like, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> Twist my arm. But but you had a couple of wine thoughts that I was hoping you'd be willing to share about um, some possible pairings for Lydia or some other mm-hmm maybe non-Italian wines, too, that that feel right for this. So I brought this two movie. wines to this knife fight. Um, yeah. <laughs> the first one, I was my initial thought. Um, and it is it is actually, like, once you brought it up, it's a really hard wine to find if you don't yeah. have, a, like, a small shop you can trust. Yeah. Because there's so many bad versions of it out there. But we carry yeah. and have for years carried one um, Lambrusco. It's the Beccarosa Lambrusco. Mm, awesome. And it's 100% Gras Barossa. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say that? I think I so. don't know a lot about that grape, but I know that it's one of like the major grapes used in Lambrusco. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'd i have to look it up. I know that that's one of the major grapes in Lambrusco. Um, I'm trying to remember. I can't think of what the other ones are are off the top of my head. But for those 
uh, those of you who are listening who don't know, Lambrusco is a unique wine because it's a sparkling red wine. And um, and I was I was gonna say um, one thing that's been tricky for me here in Santa Fe, I I've only been able to find good rosé Lambrusco, hmm. which. I love a good rosé Lambrusco. One of my favorite wines ever is a rosé Lambrusco. But sometimes you want the, like, the red sparkling wine. And and I haven't been able to find that here. Even even when I was working in, in Boulder, I don't think we maybe had one. We had one that was sweet um, because uh. Lambrusco can be sweet or it can be dry. And I obviously prefer the dry. Um, <laughs> and there was one, actually, if you can find, I don't know, I don't know how, how far they distribute now, but Scarpetta, mm. which is the wine company of Bobby Stuckey, who's the master sommelier who owns Frasca, which is in Boulder. He's, he's a big deal. He's wonderful. He's great. Um, but that's his wine company and they make Lambrusco in a can and it's, Ooh. it's actually really good. Yes. There are some Lambruscos in, in a can that I've tried that are not as good as that one. They're just like a little too sweet for me. But, um, but that one is really good and dry. So if you can find that, I don't know, it's so unique. It's, it's so interesting. And so it's a perfect little self-serving size. <laughs> yeah, I have had some Scarpetta wines before, but Lambrusco yeah. in a can kind of sounds like the most perfect thing ever. Yeah, it's really perfect. It's great for, like, picnics in the summer, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's awesome. I, I highly recommend it if you can if you can get that. Um, a lot of, I like a lot of their other wines, too, especially their white wines, but um, that, that Lambrusco might be, might be my favorite thing they do. Okay, I will yeah. definitely bring that up. Uh, at the shop. That would be fun. Yeah, if you can find that, it's super, super fun. Um, but you were saying, and I I totally agree with you, that Lambrusco feels right for Lydia. Yeah. Yeah. Lambrusco feels weirdly 15. Yeah. Like, Lambrusco is a really young kind of tasting wine. Be- and it is really like, Lydia is such an interesting character because I think it's really easy to write her off or to, mm-hmm. like like we do with teenagers all the time, to be like, oh, she is strange and unusual and she's so dramatic and she's so whatever. But she is trying so hard, I think, with both her dad and her stepmom. And we see that at the end. Like everyone really, despite the way it looks in the beginning, really wants to be family and wants to be happy and for things to work out. Absolutely. And so Lambrusco, I mean, like one of the tasting notes of a lot of Lambruscos is like bubblegum or like Mm -hmm. tea fruity. And that's just so I can imagine – I can imagine her drinking this like on her 21st birthday. It just Absolutely. feels right. Absolutely. And it's also like niche enough of a wine that I feel like I totally feel like Lydia when she grows up a little bit is going to be a like a to- totally into wine and oh, yeah. uh, be like a, a a wine snob and in the most yes. I say that in the most loving way as a <laughs> sort of wine snob myself. But uh but I think she would then be really into Lambrusco. Um, you know, once once you discover it, you're like, oh, this is so cool. But it's mm-hmm. also it is it is a nice kind of entry level wine because it's usually not too complex. Um yes. and has and has that, like you said, a little bit of a tutti frutti, even if it's dry, which is nice. 
I can just see her cutting it with her Diet Coke at the dinner table when she's, yeah. like, still a teenager. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, my God. In her rebellious teenage years, she's totally chugging cans of Lambrusco at yes. the all-girls <laughs> school. <laughs> yeah. And, and one thing that I, I wanted to, to say, um, talking about her is that she there is a very heartbreaking scene where she's basically writing a suicide note uh mm. and so it's 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 so wonderful to then see her at the end dancing in the air in that iconic moment and um ugh, it's it's definitely i think she's she's uh definitely goals for for any goth kid um oh. <laughs> yeah and she's honestly such a good role model because at the risk of getting emotional like she gets to be a child the whole time yeah and she is a kid and that's why you know it's set up in the beginning of the movie which I remembered but kind of forgot that you know Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis's characters wanted to have a baby and it just hadn't happened for them yet and then they kind of make this decision and to sacrifice their deaths for this young girl yeah this like really beautiful blended family with her parents and everyone included and at the end I think it's so cool to see her demanding things yeah. Because throughout the movie, we see her only wanting to go up. She's like, I'll die for these people who are already dead. I'll right. give up anything I can. And then she's saying like, hey, I, I'm a kid and I'm going to be a little bratty and I want to do this thing you promised me. I love it. I love it. Yeah, you're really right. Yeah, she's kind of she's kind of the most adult character and in some ways, uh, at least compared to uh, at least compared to her parents. But um, she's kind of taking care of everything and mm-hmm. everyone, the whole movie, until the end when she's like, nope, I'm a kid. I get to have fun. And and they they really tell her, you don't get to do that. They're like, you are a kid and you don't get to take care of us. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really, it's really, it's really sweet and really beautiful. And in a way that I hadn't quite remembered, like the, the dynamics between Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, her, mm-hmm. and... Oh my gosh! What's the what's the the actor's name? He's Rooney in uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I want to say I it's don't like, remember his name. It's like Jeffrey Jones or something. He was he was in like everything in the eighties and early nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just gonna look it up real quick because it's gonna bother me if I don't. Yeah, Jeffrey Jones is his name. Heck yes! There we go. <laughs> Somewhere in the recesses of my mind, I knew that. Yes, point one for Emma. <laughs> <laughs> Whew, <laughs> I haven't lost it all. But yeah, there, there. It's such a great ensemble, and <laughs> and I was watching this. I don't know if you watch Schitt's Creek, but mm-hmm. um, but I was like, oh my god, this is totally a predecessor to Moira Rose, <laughs> Catherine O'Hara's character. It- Totally is, which was why I think I remember watching Schitt's Creek and being like, okay, like, is this, is this Beetlejuice too? Like, right, right. <laughs> right, definitely, definitely. Um, and for, and for her, I don't know how you, this has just occurred to me for a wine for her character. I was thinking um, orange wine for her. Ooh. Because, um, for a couple of reasons. One, because her hair is that, like, bright red color Mm -hmm. um and then she also is drinking wine later that 
looks kind of like what orange wine looks like. I don't think it's supposed I to be. I noticed that. Yeah, I don't think it's supposed to be orange wine. It's probably like apple juice or something. But but there's something. There's also something about, because, you know, she's an artist from New York, and there's something very pretentious about her. And mm-hmm. while I love orange wine, or certain orange wines, it's definitely become like a sign of... If you're like a pretentious hipster wine snob, you yeah. love orange wine. And um, and so that felt kind of right for her. And if you come in for all of those um, pretentious hipster wine snobs listening, the way that you yeah. reveal yourself in a wine shop is you walk in and you go, <laughs> um, do you have any orange wine? <laughs> it's really important that you say it like that. <laughs> Let me know that you don't think we do. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great uh, pretentious wine lesson 101. <laughs> and for those of you uh, pretentious wine snobs in training. Yes, exactly. Um, we're, we're trying to help everybody here. Um, I just remember a few years ago, I went into a wine shop in Brooklyn and like half of their wines, maybe this is exaggerating, but it felt like half their wines were orange wines. And I was like, <laughs> Okay, that's overkill. <laughs> like that's <laughs> like I would maybe accept it if it was all New World natural wines or something, right? Because right. how many options do you have? But if you're just right. a general wine shop, then how did you even find that many? I don't know. I don't know how they did it, but they had so many. I mean, it was a small shop, and they probably had like fifteen of them, mm-hmm. and um, and so it, it probably wasn't like half, but it. It took up a a large part of their inventory, (laughs) which, again, like, there's really good orange wines out there. I really like orange wine, but it's uh, it's become it's become a a definite like sign. Like it's like very the crunchy IPA of wine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) The crunchy IPA of wine. I love it. But yeah, so so that feels kind of right for 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 Catherine O'Hara, um, at least in this in this yes in this movie. And I didn't I didn't really come up with any ideas for Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin. I think I, I figured we could maybe or um, or Beetlejuice. I was sort of trying to think about what what would be a good wine for Beetlejuice, but he's so out there. I do have a wine for Beetlejuice, and I can't take credit for it, but we can get to that one after I have an idea about Gina Davis and um, Alec Baldwin. It's got to be California, and it's got to be boring. Absolutely. That was my instinct, too. Yeah, I I feel like just like generic California Chardonnay, Cabernet Mm -hmm. Sauvignon, or maybe Pinot Noir. Maybe yeah, maybe they really like Pinots. That's yeah. their thing. Because they're so light and, and, and we just don't like all those tannins. We get up way before six thirty in the morning with yeah. I did notice. <laughs> yes. Uh and I forgot that Gina Davis is in that like totally ugly <laughs> smock dress the whole time. It's so ugly and I want it so bad. I know, right? I was so did the little pockets in the front. Yes, I was like, yes. I need uh, this dress. You need this. Why did this go out of fashion? I would. Th- I mean, I don't think it was ever in, but I will put yeah. a belt on it and wear it anywhere. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And I love Alec Baldwin's checkered shirt and and you know round glasses. It, he's adorable. He's adorable in it. I want to take a small moment. Well, so this is a small moment for two things. First of all, yes. for and we grew up really, really close 
to the same kind of cultural phenomenons. So yeah. for me, I have this intense crush on anyone who looks like Bill Pullman, Luke Wilson, young Alec Baldwin. Totally. Th- those three people are the same. They look yeah. exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> they give off the same dad vibe and they have that dad haircut. Yeah. Yeah. And no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. That outfit and everything. Just can we just pour one out for young Alec Baldwin? Like, wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cheers. Cheers to, <laughs> cheers to hot Alec Baldwin. <laughs> not that you're not hot now, Alec. You're a different kind of hot. He is. We wear rings He's, now. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it was really funny. This is a, a little sidebar, but I did a rewatch of 30 Rock a little while ago. And then we were like over at my in-laws house and I think it was The Hunt for Red October came on, mm-hmm. which is also young Alec Baldwin. But I had this moment of like cognitive dissonance because I'd been watching 30 Rock. And then to see him, I'm like... In my brain, you are not the same person. Like, I know you're the same person, but... And that's kind of like, I had this Mandela effect moment when I rewatched Beetlejuice as an adult because I had remembered him as Bill Pullman, like, from Casper, mm. the Friendly Ghost Age. Yeah, that's yeah, like yeah. That's, like, who I thought that was. And I think I thought Gina Davis was Andy McDowell. Mm, yeah, she does have I get a them very... I in my head a lot. Yeah, she she does have a very kind of Andy McDowell vibe in this movie specifically, mm-hmm. not not in everything she does. But, but yeah, I remember when I was a kid, like, I was really into a bunch of Gina Davis movies, like A League of oh. Their Own and all that. Like, she was... She's having a little bit of a, of a renaissance or has been... Bring it back. I know, I know. I love it. But she was on, uh, like... Shira and Ooh. yeah and and she was in the last season of Glow um okay. which got which got canceled but but so she's like kind of kind of picking picking up you know picking up again I'm here for it I want the Gina Davis essence yes and fun facts about Gina Davis I remember yes. learning that she was a member of Mensa and that was oh. like my favorite fact about her I didn't know that that's well, I amazing hope it's true because I'm notorious for spreading lies. I believe <laughs> but, it. I believe it. I, she could. She's. She could totally be a genius. I, yeah, we're making it true now. So yeah, I'm pretty sure now. it is though. Yeah. <laughs> Not gonna fact check that right now. Mm-hmm. Let's just believe it. Let's just believe it. I am now. I'm now realizing that I did come up with an idea for Beetlejuice, but it's more. It's more a play on words than it is like okay. a wine that I think is right for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a producer in the Rhone Valley in France called, and forgive my terrible French, uh, Domaine de Escaravelle, which literally I think is Escaravelle is beetle. And so they have <laughs> beetles on their um, on their wines. So they make Coterone and Rasto, which is just a slightly mm-hmm. fancier kind of appellation than Cote de Rhone, but they're really, really good wines and um, they're literally Beetlejuice. So that was my... And, oh my gosh, this makes me feel so dumb. I feel so bad about this one because doesn't Brown Estate literally have a wine called Beetlejuice? They probably do. I don't... But like not... based on the star. Oh, really? Spell, I think they do. I didn't, I didn't know that. Brown Estates, you said? Yeah, in Napa. Let me look it up. Because I think I've coveted this wine because we don't carry it, but I really want to try it. Right. Oh, yep. 
Yep. The but yeah, spelled spelled like Beetlegeuse, the yes. <laughs> like the the German or whatever uh, spelling that it is in the in the movie. That's cool. We're gonna have to find that at some point. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but that's not necessarily one. I feel like that's one that's just kind of fun to connect to the movie mm-hmm. generally. But but I don't feel like that's quite right for the character of Beetlejuice himself. I mean, he's a crusty dude. He sure and is. <laughs> I think it's a really interesting choice to make him the namesake of the movie and also to spell it phonetically. Yes. There's like a lot of things in that, which makes your choice to choose a wine that like translates to beetle and is juice like, yeah really works for me thank you <laughs> but the so I asked my coworker who I always ask wine advice from because mm-hmm. she knows what she's talking about and um uh-huh. has certifications and, and knows what she's doing and she said that it, she she went right to it she was like it's got to be the clinker brick Zinfandel mm-hmm. and so I also, we talked about this a little bit over email, yeah. but I'm not usually a huge fan of Zinfandels. Now, the Brown Estate, just weird tangential, their Zinfandel is fantastic. I don't think I've had it. So worth it. It's okay, like I will look out for it. a treat yourself bottle. For sure. They're amazing. The Clinker Brick is an everyday bottle. It's not very expensive. Yeah, but it's good. And this is the, the one that we carry is their old vine Zinfandel. Mm-hmm. And a Clinker Brick is like when you have a brick wall and it's the blackened ones. Ooh, I didn't That's even the know Clinker that. Brick. Cool. So it's like a char thing. And mm. this wine, let me refresh before I embarrass myself. Yeah, so it is like smoky and earthy. And that's a really fun balance to all the fruit. Yeah. Because it absolutely. still is really fruit forward. And it is a California red, which is not usually my bag. Yeah. But they do such a good job with it. And I didn't even think about this, but then my coworker mentioned, like, literally when they have to go through a brick wall to get into this, like, waiting room That's in the amazing. afterlife. It's yeah. Like, okay. So this wine is both Beetlejuice and it just, like, is representative of the movie. Absolutely. No, I love that. Um, and I was saying, because uh, I have I have worked with that wine before, and I really, I do really like it. I similarly don't usually go for Zin. It's another one that um, I like to say it's a good and like entry to wine wine because because it is usually so fruit forward you know so when you're just starting to drink wine like your palate's not unless you're you know gifted your palate's not gonna immediately be like ooh, this weird funky earthy weird Mm -hmm. italian red like that's my jam no you're probably gonna start with like a malbec or a zinfandel and um and be like ooh, i like I like these flavors. It's not too dry, but it's but it's um, introducing young folks or new new wine folks to uh, to wine. So when I was first getting mm-hmm. into wine, I remember being super into Zinfandel. So that's another one that I feel like maybe Lydia would would you know have some Zinfandel with dinner with her. <laughs> you know, and I think that if. Beetlejuice had played his cards better and been less of a creepazoid. Like, I think she would have been down. She's like, she's not judgy. She's like, super weird dead dude. That's my vibe. I've got a type. I know who I am and what I want. Very aggressive in that last scene. If he just played it a little cooler then. And also did not try to marry a 15-year-old. Yeah, that's also pedophilia. But. Yeah, so big, big one there. And yeah, also yeah. don't hit on her de facto ghost mom and then hit on her. Have any I know. Tact. 
I know. He's just he's he's sleazy. He's definitely yeah. sleazy. But with a little uh with a little grooming and a little lessons and etiquette, maybe mm-hmm. maybe we could give him a chance. Um So is Beetlejuice if Beetlejuice is sleazy, then maybe yeah. Beetlejuice is like, oh, he totally is. He's a good bottle of wine gone to seed. Oh, so he's yes. he's like a week old, two week old open bottle of clinker brick mixed with Diet Coke. Absolutely. Oh my God, that's perfect. I can even, I can like see him drinking that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I, I love that. I love that for him. Also, one thing I wanted to just mention, because I, I don't think this is a grape that I've mentioned on the podcast much, if at all, but there's, there's a grape that's very similar to Zinfandel in Italy um, that we, um, since we were kind of talking about Italian wines, but Primitivo is... Um, an Italian wine, you know, I've heard so many times people have said that Primitivo is just the Italian name for Zinfandel. Mm-hmm. I think at this point the consensus is it's they're different grapes, but they're similar. Oh. Um, this is news to me because I thought the other way. Yeah, I, I've heard both and I've heard both going back and forth like my whole time working in the wine industry. I think the last thing I heard is that they are genetically different, but... Okay. Sim- very similar and very similar in flavor profile, um, except that Primitivos tend to be like a little bit spicier just because they've got that Italian terroir. I don't know. It's something mm. in the air. Um, <laughs> but yeah. uh, why not? Why not? But that one, that one I feel like is another good option for for Beetlejuice as well. Um, if we're feeling fancy. Yeah, especially because it sounds like like a diminutive epithet. Like, you're so primitivo. Yeah, you know? totally. Totally. <laughs> and the only other wine that I wrote down that I wanted to mention is what I'm drinking, um, which is my de facto kind of spooky wine um, for some reason, is which is Valpolicella. Um, I talked a lot about Valpolicella with our Dracula episode. Um, and so I, for some reason, I feel like Valpolicella has a very gothic vibe to it. Maybe part of that is because the main grape in Valpolicella is Corvina, which just always makes me think of like Corvo or Crows. Mm. Very, very kind of gothic aesthetic to it. <laughs> and that's what, so that's what I'm drinking. Um, and this one, um, as I was telling Brooke, our, our local good wine shop closed down because they're moving. So hopefully, hopefully it's just temporary, but I do have a little local liquor store that has a few good bottles. And this one is the Lenotti Valpolicella Classico. And, um, it's not like the best one I've ever had, but it's only $13 a bottle, which you can't beat that. So, Mm -hmm. um, so that's a good one. But if if I had had access to it, my favorite Valpolicella producer is Pra, which is just P-R-A with a little accent on the A. Um, oh, we carry, I think, do they, the we carry a white from them, a suave? Yeah, yeah, they make yeah. a suave. That one's delicious. Yeah, no, that their suave is really good. And if you can get, they have a few different levels of Valpolicella and Amarone. And they're, you know, they're not s- super cheap, but but they're, I think their Valpolicella Ripasso is like 30-something dollars a bottle, which is pretty good for a Ripasso. Yeah. And it's really good. Really, really good. Um, so I highly recommend that. And that, 
that's yeah. that's another one I feel like the the um the alive parents would drink. <laughs> so I was thinking of the alive dad. I'm like, what is alive dad's deal? Like yeah. what is what is his situation? And I thought a lot about it. And at first I thought it's just whatever boring red wine he can get his hands on, but it's not. Yeah. It's specifically he went on a wine trip somewhere. Definitely. And he had a wine and he comes into a wine shop and he tries to get it and whatever it is, he says just the translation of Chardonnay. <laughs> He asks for Chardonnay in any other language, and someone's like, oh, that's Chardonnay. And he's like, no, it's not. Yeah. I had this somewhere else, and I know it's different. That's totally right. He's he's definitely that certain kind of customer who is like, I had this experience, and that makes me the expert in this mm-hmm. one thing. So let me come in and tell you all what uh, I know better than you. And you're like... No, you don't know better than me, (laughs) but okay, sir. (laughs) And when the poor salesperson is just like, we don't carry that, they're like, they have to tell the story. They're like, I know you said you don't carry it, but I was on a riverboat cruise (laughs) and the garçon served it to me. So it's real. Yeah. It's like, well, yes, of course it's real. (laughs) Yeah. Those are my favorite customers who come in and are like, I had this really specific experience like 20 years ago. Do you have mm-hmm. that wine? I'm like, you're going to have to give me some more information <laughs> about it. What I love about our shop is that we're so small that yeah. um, the owner is a sommelier and mm-hmm. she is also just like a wine lover and has a great relationship with all of her customers. And she's one of those people who's really not snobby. She's like, if you like it, drink it. Love it. But she, we will special special order wines for anyone. If I anyone wants yeah, to get a wine and we have access to it, we'll get it. But <laughs> so I'll tell people that and they'll be like, right, but I don't know what it is. And I'm like, well, so me either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also don't know. <laughs> You're going to have to meet me halfway here. <laughs> we got to find some common ground. And we have a cheese counter and cheese uh-huh. is kind of a little bit oh, more my thing. I love it. So people will come in. And they'll be like, I got a cheese here last week. And I'll be like, great, absolutely. They're like, I remember nothing about it. I don't remember how it smells, how it looked, how it tasted. It was good, though. And I'm like, well, I mean, if it was good, it well, must be this one. Well, if it was one. good, that really narrows it down for me. Yeah. No, absolutely. I used to do special orders at, at my old wine store, too. And uh, it, it was a bigger it was a bigger store um, than some of the others I've worked in. But not not, like, huge. It was still, you know family owned quote unquote mm-hmm. and but we had some really high maintenance customers and I would do my darndest to find uh, the wines that they wanted do some sleuthing about if you can't remember like anything about the wine it's hard but but uh but we do our best we do our best we do do our best we want to get everyone the wine they want yeah the only other thought that i have for the dad is that um, you know, there's certain like status wines that like yes, rich dudes like to name drop, and because he's like this financial, financially obsessed person, um, I feel like he would come in and like name drop some Napa producers or like like really oh. high end Napa producers, and yes, and be be that kind of person too. I feel like he'd be the person – I'm trying to think of any of them, and it's hard for me because we don't carry those. We're so mm-hmm. small that carrying, like, large right. brands is really kind of pointless to us because yeah. we can't price match. Yeah. But I feel like he's the kind of person who would come in and he would drop one of those cabs and then 
Catherine O'Hara would come in right behind him and be like, what's the most expensive wine you have in the store? Which is, yes. every time it happens, I'm like, I mean, it's just going to be like $100 max. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Ooh, yeah. She would totally, she would probably want champagne and want like the, oh, yeah. the highest end champagne, like the Dom Perignon. Uh, and, and she would like the idea of grower champagne would like curl her toes. She'd be like, yeah, no, no, she'd no, be no, like, no. no, no, I want the big, I want the big name. And uh-huh. but yeah, no, I could see. I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember because it's been a while now since I've worked in in a wine sh- shop. And though I have worked in mostly small wine shops, the last couple that I have have catered to big spenders. And so there's obviously there's Opus One, there's Dominus. There's things like Screaming Eagle. For a smaller one, all the Orin Swift wines really had a moment. Definitely, yeah. Orin Swift is another one who, um, I mean, he has some that are that are much more expensive. My feeling about Orin Swift is that I don't like dislike his wines, but they got so hyped that I mm-hmm. think they're really overpriced, and you're kind yeah. of paying more for the name than you are for the quality of the wine. I got the opportunity to take an Orange Swift class where oh, I got nice. to try like six or eight of them. Nice, because I and haven't tried that many of them. They're good. Mm-hmm. And I think that what the cool thing about getting to take classes like that, like I took a Cabernet Sauvignon class and I was like, oh, awesome. do you know what I learned? I actually just like don't love Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah. There are yeah. kinds that I really love. Sure. And that's kind of what I found taking that Orange Swift classes. I was like, oh, like California – New World style is, like, not really my bag. Yeah. And that's fine. All these wines can still be fantastic. And if yes. Prisoner is your favorite, it should be your favorite and you keep drinking it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I very much feel the same way. I do I do have a soft spot for, for certain California cabs. There's one producer. This is obviously a, it, it, you know, if you're feeling really fancy. Um, but there's a producer in Napa called Larkmead. They're a little less well-known. They hardly distribute to anyone, mm. um, which is which is a bummer. But if you ever go to Napa, that's the winery that I tell people to go to because it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous oh, there, man. and the wines are really good. And um, they're like, you know, $200 a bottle. So it's not mm-hmm. – it's not – an everyday thing. But luckily I went there with my my in-laws who are also not big <laughs> California or at least not Cabernet drinkers, but my mother-in-law got obsessed and so she ordered like a case of yes. of their wine and gave us a couple bottles. I was like, "I will take that. Thank you very much." Thank you. <laughs> I am actually I'm from Southern California. Um oh, nice. and I'm from I'm from Western Kentucky, but I was born in Southern right. California and that's where my family is and I'm actually going right. to be visiting my mom for the first time in 3 years. Oh my we're gosh. Vaccinated. Congratulations. Um, and I'm so excited. And all my family in about a week. So oh, I won't be awesome. in the Napa area, but I will keep my eyes peeled. Yeah, if you can make it up to Santa Barbara too, that Definitely. I love. I love Santa Barbara wines. They're not like your typical, you know. When you think of California wines, I, I feel like Santa Barbara is kind of unique. Yeah, it's it's Cupe, right? That has that Marsan Roussan mm-hmm. that's just like really fun. Yeah, a really yeah. great little great blend. I and I, and that's how I fell in love with 
those grapes blended together and realized I'm like, people do this. This is a thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was thinking of trying to maybe hit up a creamery and a winery when I was there because it's mostly a family Absolutely. trip. But I mean, like, when in Rome. Like, yeah, exactly. Let's, let's exactly. Happen. Absolutely. Uh, ugh, well, that sounds that sounds so fun. I recently, I also just saw my mom for the first time in just a year and a half. It had but been, still, but, that's but so still, long. it was so long. It was so, I mean, it was wonderful, but also so strange. Like it's like both felt like it had been so long since I'd seen her, and not then like no time had passed. The whole like mm-hmm. quarantine uh, experience <laughs> of it feeling like forever, and also no time has passed. And I don't know if this, like, if everyone feels this way, but anytime I see my mom, like, I, like, live my life, I feel very grown up, I do my things, and then I see my mom and I immediately become a child. Like, I, everything falls away. I have never been less of an adult in my life. And I'm just like, can you make me dinner? I'm hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. No, it was different because my mom was visiting us here. And so we, mm. I was kind of hosting her, but I definitely felt it was right after I got my second dose of the vaccine. Um, so I know technically, technically it was too soon, but she'd been long vaccinated. So I was like, yeah. I'm more worried about you. So this is fine. But I was like, oh man, I wonder if I'm going to be feeling sick and my mom will have to take care of me. <laughs> You're like, oh no, how terrible would that oh, be? Oh <laughs> no, she'll have to make me chicken soup. Uh, it didn't end up happening. I felt fine by the time she was here. But <laughs> I mean, that's good too. <laughs> it was good. Yeah. <laughs> that And that's also something just to kind of bring it back to Beetlejuice um, kind of the idea of like time being weird. The the passage of time is obviously a weird thing. And when they go, I had forgotten about, you know, them going to like the afterlife corporate headquarters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and one of my favorite yeah. jokes, I mean, it's a really, really dark joke, but the joke that if you commit suicide, you have to work as a civil servant. I was like, oh mm-hmm. man, Tim Burton. <laughs> That that you, one is so savage. Yeah, really, really rough. <laughs> but it was that joke, and then honestly, the joke for me was, um, what the heck does he say? The guy who was run over by a car, and he's like, "I've been feeling a little flat lately," and no oh. one laughs, and I'm like, "He's so funny." Why I know. Are <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. That's that's really true. I also I love the woman, the older woman who like plays their their like caseworker. Mm-hmm. Um, she's great, and I feel I feel like I've seen her in other things, but I can't I can't think. And of like the smoke be. pouring out of her scar on her. Oh neck. my like, god, I love effect. it. Uh, yes. I was like, this is probably the best one. I feel like that was the effect with the most finesse. Yes. in this movie, definitely because so many of them were so campy, and everyone was different colors and had all of these like totally really cartoonish features, and then she has this just like fantastic, really effective practical. Yes, yes, no, absolutely. That's that's really true. And there there was something about her specifically and the scene the scenes with her that reminded me a lot of Brazil. Um, I don't mm. know if you've seen Brazil, but it's another it's a Terry Gilliam movie with Jonathan Price is his name. It's an and Robert De Niro, a young Robert Ooh. De Niro. It, it, I, I think it came out in the early 80s or mid 80s. It's another weird one. Love a it's weird worth, one. Yeah, I, I, I recommend checking it out. Um, but it is it is bizarre. It is bizarre. That's awesome. Yeah. But and, and there's some of that in I feel like 
Terry Gilliam and Terry Gilliam's absurdism maybe is a little bit of an influence on Tim Burton. I don't think, I don't know if he's ever said that specifically, but Terry Gilliam being the the animator from, from Monty Python, who then went on to direct a mm-hmm. bunch of weird, weird movies. And turned out to be a pretty problematic person, too. Oh, I mean, so is Tim Burton. So like, Oh, we'll yeah. Just... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Didn't he, didn't he say recently he said something like, he doesn't cast a lot of people of color in his movies because they don't fit his aesthetic or something. Yeah, I think he said that when he was working on a children's series, which oh, was a super great. fun time. <laughs> oh, um, <no. laughs> and so, yeah, I think that I'm sure that this comes up a lot in not ad nauseum in the podcast, but like mm-hmm. when you talk about things that you love, you have to talk about the problems that their creators are. Like we can love these movies and still just think, Hey, like that's not cool. You yeah, that. I, I always try to. I always try to mm-hmm. acknowledge um, again because a lot of a lot of the things that we talk about on this podcast are things that like are from our childhoods or you know like movies and books and such that we love that we grew up with, and I feel like you know for people of our age and our generation, the more we grow up, the more we realize how problematic the people were behind (laughs) these things that we love, which doesn't make them, you know, which doesn't mean that we can't love those things anymore, but it's important to acknowledge, I think. And we talked about this when um, we were just hanging out one day, but just also in wine, the issue with, you know, sommelier certifications right now and oh my god and the different things going on there like the systems that surround the things we love are problematic because it's all in a society and a system that's problematic hugely yeah no absolutely absolutely and it's slowly but surely getting better in the wine industry as i think it is slowly but surely getting better in film and um other other big entertainment industries. Um, but there's a lot of work to be done before. I mean, thankfully, podcasting is perfect. So oh, yes. the good news <laughs> is, it, it's it's sad because it's almost actually really true. Like, yeah, at least so at nice. least indie podcasting. I mean, mm-hmm. I know there's I know I, I follow a lot of podcasters. And so I know that many people have many qualms about things mm-hmm. in the podcasting industry, which are very valid. But I do think there is a truth to just having having a little bit more, I don't know, I don't know the right word, but there's a little more flexibility in a lot of senses of the word in podcasting. And I think that lends itself yeah. to more diversity, hopefully. And I hope it, I mean, I know it won't because I know that people with money are getting into podcasting now. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it's really cool, at least being here, when I could listen to Wolf 359 and then kind of be like, wow, Amateur Jarko is my hero. And then I could send you an email and we could get to know each other. Yeah, when I know. When can we do that? It's super cool. It's super cool. And that that is one of the things that I love about about the podcasting in industry and the and the indie community mm-hmm. is that I think there's more of an openness and, you know, desire to connect and you know, help each other, work on each other's stuff. And um, we just, we just, you know, we're a big happy family. But (laughs) We're one very ragtag theater troupe. Yes, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) That, that is pretty much how it is. 
Let's see. What else? What else? I think we've touched on a lot of the like major things I wanted to touch on with Beetlejuice, but I feel like there's Well, okay. So, I have a serious question. I haven't thought about yes. this at all. But like Yes. If we're going to talk about wine and we're going to talk about Beetlejuice, I need to know what mm. wine style and or region applies to the sandworms on Saturn. Ooh, good good question. Hmm. It's funny cuz I was I was watching that and I was like, "Oh, this is super dune." Um, you know, uh-huh. like the sand, <laughs> the, the sandworms. Um, you know, it's it it feels very desert-like. Mm-hmm. And you can grow grapes in the desert. Um, I mean, here in New Mexico, we're best known for the winery Gruet, um, which mm-hmm. is a sparkling wine. But that doesn't feel quite right for the sandworms. I feel like. They have got to be. I actually think the the Cote de Rhone might be good for them. I don't know Ooh. something something about and and I do know that parts of parts of the Rhone Valley they have very sandy soil there, so that could that could be a connection. But something about Cote de Rhone's or this other region, Rastow, um, it they're very they're very earthy and dark but mm-hmm. also like delicious and smooth. And so the the worms are very scary, but they end up saving the day at the end. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of out of nowhere, this idea popped into my head. Um, have you had any of the small fry wines? Uh, I, I don't think so. I'm familiar with the name, but I don't think I've had any. They're, I, I mean, I've had whatever we carry, so of course they, they sure. make a lot more, but they're a really fun small producer from Australia. Ooh, fun. And they do a lot with, like, Sanso. They're very brave with Sanso. Oh, nice. Um, or for those of you who prefer phonetic pronunciation can say it like I used to say it to people out loud, which is Cinesalt. Cinesalt. Um, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> but they make these... Funky natural wines, but where a lot of natural wines are like really sour or really, I mean, theirs are unfiltered. You'll have like a lot of silt at the bottom. They, yeah. with this, especially with their reds that they make with the Sanso, end up having this really like dusty, violety kind of like the wines taste like you're looking at yourself in an antique mirror. Like it's just. <gasps> Fun. I love that. I love that description. That's so visceral. I totally, <laughs> I can taste that. <laughs> and so they're really surprising because I think with natural wines, you expect like so much fruit or so much sour or so much yeah, whatever. And yeah. they make these really like, they do make those. Their their orange wine, Tangerine sure. Dreams, is fantastic. It's all of the things that you want out of that. But awesome. they have this one called, I think it's, they have Eclectic Violet, which is a uh-huh. still Sanso situation. Nice. And then they have this like jellyfish dream or something, Ooh. which is a bubbly Ooh. kind of pet nest style situation. I love that. But they're that. both at least have some part of sandstone. I think one is 100% sandstone. You get all of that like dust. And yeah. that makes me think of sand. And that makes me think of space and outer space totally. and like a new planet. Totally. Um, I love that. The other the other wine that's coming to mind now, I can't remember the name of the producer, but it's another, I believe, natural wine, but coming from Spain, and it's called Ooh. El Marciano or the Martian. And so it, I know it's not Ooh. the right planet, but it's um, it's very uh, very sci-fi, and um, and I think it's a hundred percent garnacha. Which, oh, I love. 
Yes. Yeah. Also, also love it. I I love some of those like lighter, can be weirder, a little less known wines. I mean, Garnacha is a big one, but but since so, I feel like is becoming more and more popular on its own, and I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think it's a really neat a really neat wine, and it often does have like you were saying that kind of like dustiness to it. It's yeah. It's usually like it's not usually like too heavy bodied or anything like that but it's got that like little hint of kick of earth to it which i which i really like and it's funny that that led you not funny probably makes total sense if you think about how brains work but that talking about <laughs> sanso would lead you to garnacha because yeah i mean absolutely yeah. you find a lot of wines that are 100 garnacha but it's also very much a blending grape absolutely yeah so getting a little bit of both of those yeah absolutely and i think i think that's another um Another thing that is happening more with like smaller wineries, especially, is that they're being more experimental with those quote unquote blending grapes that uh-huh. um, people are finding are like actually really cool and interesting on their own. Yeah. S- surprising, you know, sur- it's the word I'm looking for, not surpassing expectations, but overturning expectations exceeding uh, exceeding expectations <laughs> there we go we got That's there the yeah <laughs> and i i did hear actually there is a new trade deal and i'm pretty sure you can get martian wines on saturn ooh nice there's a new distributor i love it i love that i love uh when the the interplanetary cooperation mm-hmm. in the in the wine business <laughs> I hate the earth distribution laws. We can't get anything and you can't oh get God. anything shipped here. It's just ridiculous. This is another sidebar, but I've been playing, I've been replaying the video game Mass Effect, which takes mm-hmm. place in space. And oh man, I just want to live in the future where we can like travel to other planets and like <laughs> meet other alien species and like talk with them. I'm like, ah. Yeah, um, but- you might. I mean... I I really think that we might be able to commercially go to space in our lifetime. I would love that. I'd be... I I used to think, like, I wouldn't do that. And now I'm like, who was I kidding? Yeah, I absolutely will. I would absolutely go to space. Yeah. No, I also was like, I don't know. But now I'm like, nope, 100%. Let's go. If Um, anyone is interested, this is mine and Emma's official Kickstarter to send us to space. We will podcast (laughs) from the stars. We will. We will bring wine and let you know how the uh, atmosphere affects it. They yeah. did they did send a case of wine to space. I don't know if Thank you God. saw this. I know, right? Um I think it was I think it was Chateau Petrus which was really <laughs> uncanny because in the one episode of Wolf 359 where we um like talked about a bottle of wine, Gabrielle just or Sarah, I forget. I don't I, I don't remember who wrote it. Um, but they they chose Chateau Petrus, which is one of the big Bordeaux producers. And then several years later, I was reading this article about a case of Chateau Petrus in space. I was like, wait a minute. Okay, there's no <laughs> way that there wasn't just some nerd who was a fan. There's right? no way. Right? <laughs> it was Someone definitely... heard the show and they were like, oh, wait, actually. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to drop a few thousand dollars, bring this wine to space. <laughs> Which, if you're sending a wine to space, you already don't have a budget. Yeah, it's true. It's true. You're right. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> it's not like not like you're going to space on a shoestring budget. Anyway, we're gonna start that Kickstarter. And yeah, we are happy to go to space on a shoestring yeah, budget. Absolutely. For 
like we'll bring whatever ten dollar bottles of of who cares we're yeah, we're ready to go exactly we'll bring we'll bring some of the Valpolicella some clinker brick mm-hmm. and uh, I wonder I wonder how sparkling wines would do in space because of the pressure I was thinking it might might be a little dangerous I think we're gonna try it and we're gonna be disappointed but I I manifest that one bottle will survive okay great I. I love your optimism and <laughs> <laughs> it gives me hope. We just have to put on like face shields when we open them so they don't explode. Which honestly us. everyone should do. Seriously, yeah. everyone be careful when you open your bubbly. Do not shoot your eye out. Yep. Oh my God. I I have done that. Or I, I mean, I haven't shut my eye out, but I definitely opened a bottle of bubbly when I was like in college and it did a full like pop out ricochet hit me right yeah. in the forehead. I hit myself in the throat. Oh, by no. just like recorking a bubbly. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the horror stories. But yes, no, the 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 proper way to open a bottle of of bubbly is to slowly twist the cork out, not pop it out. I still can't I I I've been working in the wine industry for like 8 years. I still can't do the like really gentle fizz when you mm-hmm. open it. It still makes a pop. When I open it, I sometimes can. I've done it like a few times. Good for good for you. I I've tried some maybe maybe a couple times. I've been I've I've managed to do it, but most times I'm like, eh, whatever. I'm Your not, excitement for the wine is showing through. It's too it's too much. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not working in a in a restaurant, so nobody cares. So, <laughs> and I think this is true that you have much better luck if your bubbly is really well chilled. Mm-hmm. Like opening it warm, you could you could have some issues, and then also. Um, the owners of the shop where I work made the huge mistake of buying us all champagne sabers for Christmas. Oh no. So we open all the bubbly <laughs> in our house with a champagne saber and there's a bar right across the street. So usually it's like with an audience. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. I still have never sabered a wine before, but it is. Well, when you visit, I, we will we'll, do that. We'll do it. We'll do it. I'm very excited. I'm very excited. Well, we've got so much to look forward to now. We're going to space. We're, we're savoring space. bottles. We're savoring we're... a bottle in space. I just I just saw on our Kickstarter a new tier. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's, it's going to be so great. <laughs> well, any other thoughts about Beetlejuice before we, before we start planning our next adventures? Well, let's figure out how to tie it all together. Yeah. Um, so the central theme – I think the central theme – the central yeah. theme of Beetlejuice yes. is what truly is being alive. Mm-hmm. And I think that by the end of the movie, and feel free to debate me by um, joining my Patreon and our Discord and talking to me about it. But um, we'll I plug think, that in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> I think we find at the end of the movie that being alive and truly mm. experiencing life is actually not about being alive or dead. Yeah, it's about what you make of the situation that you're in. Absolutely. No, I think that's. I think that's absolutely true. I can't argue with that, and I can't think of anything to uh to dissent from that and i think everybody every character every central character has a different experience to death um, yes. or the idea of death and life i think you did it i think you i think you brought it all together and so i think all that means you know with my situation working in a wine shop and yours with your favorite wine shop being closed right now all yeah. that means is the best wine to pair with Beetlejuice is the best wine that you can get. Absolutely. <laughs> it's the it's the best wine. It's the wine that 
makes you feel most alive right now. Yes. Happiest right now. Absolutely. And that could be, that could be, you know, a bottle of Lark Mead Cabernet Sauvignon, more power to you if you can, if you can go for that. You can also find our PO boxes in the show notes if you would yep, like to send Yeah, absolutely. Us <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, or it could be, you know, a, a bottle of Clinker Brick Zinfandel or mm-hmm. Lambrusco or this Valpolicella, whatever floats your boat right now. Yes. I think that's, I love it, I love it too. Well, Brooke, thank you so much. I've had a blast. As promised, I know there's a few projects that you're involved in that I have maybe been involved in some of them as well. Um, so would you like to uh, to let us know, let our listeners know where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, right now, the most important project for you to follow is 13. 13 is a horror anthology podcast released once a month. And we always say that. We always say a horror anthology podcast. Sure. It's really, honestly, a podcast about grief and mm. love mm-hmm. and romance and humanity. And we tell it through the lens of horror. That feels totally right. Having been part of a few episodes and listen, listening to the other episodes, it it doesn't necessarily feel like a horror podcast, though horror is definitely um the the medium but but you're right the major themes and part of what i've connected to are as you've mentioned kind of found family friends mm-hmm. grief loss and navigating those things yeah and i think that um that makes it a great podcast for you to listen to if you are a fan of emma which you are cuz you have taste so oh, thank you. you can listen to any of emma's episodes because you don't have to listen to 13 in order. That's my cat in the background. He wants oh, you to listen to 13 thank too. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Emma, you are in a few episodes whose titles yes. are escaping me now. I don't remember the title of the second one, but the first one is A Midnight Game of Hide and Seek, I believe. Yes. And that was a Halloween special. And then you're yes. also in um, – Oh, gosh. I can't remember the name. very good one that everyone should listen to. Future Emma will splice in the title there. (laughs) Okay. I love that. And so... um... Hello. As promised, Future Emma here. The name of the second episode that I appeared on in 13 is called A Ghost in the Old City. And it was so much fun to work on. All right. Passing it back to past Emma and Brooke. So that's a great episode where you can hear a little bit more of Emma, which is why it's so great. And then um, if you like what you hear when you listen to her episodes, I would encourage you to listen to the rest of it. And if you have any worries about horror or things that are scary, because I definitely have in the past, feel free to check out our content warnings. Every episode has a different kind of scare. And so if certain things just aren't your bag, you can avoid those. Absolutely. Um, and also, I feel like the second episode, which I can't remember the name of right now that I was in, um, in some ways has some themes that maybe tie into Beetlejuice, kind of, yes. sort of, maybe Is it a called bit? A Ghost in the Old City? It might be. It might be. We'll see. Future Emma will tell us. We'll see. Future Emma knows. <laughs> she knows all. <laughs> yes, she does. And, and yes, it was. Yes. Um, but yes, I highly recommend 
uh, listening listening to all of thirteen. Every episode is different, um, and so and I'm I'm a very squeamish person when it comes to horror, and I I don't find it like I mean I mean there are scary parts, but but I don't. It's sort of I mean it's not like Beetlejuice, but there there's scary parts, but it's definitely palatable for me. I'm very much the same way, and yeah. I would agree. Um, and then if you like what you hear on 13, all of our social media handles are some rendition of pod 13 or 13 pod. And every time I say 13, it's spelled out. It's not the yes, number. Yes. And we're on any platform that you listen to podcasts on. Awesome. Yes. Love it. Well, I hope, I hope everybody listening will check out 13 if they haven't already done so. Um, Because it's awesome. And I'm really grateful that you reached out to me uh, and that I became a part of it and that we became friends along the way. Me too. I can't believe we didn't know that we both worked in wine. (laughs) Yeah, I know that we both worked in wine. And also someone who works at your shop is like a family friend of of mine. So (laughs) it is a small world. It is a (laughs) really small world. We do not live anywhere near each other. Yep. (laughs) It's it's a little wild. Um, Well, Brooke, thank you so much. Um, I look forward to sharing a glass, sharing a glass, sharing a bottle, (laughs) or several, and uh, one of which will be a sabered sparkling bottle. Obviously, hopefully in space, but if not in space, then somewhere on the earthly plane soon. Yes. Cheers. Cheers. Pairing was created, hosted, and produced by Emma Scherzarko, with music and audio recording by Winston Shaw and logo artwork by Darcy Zimmerman and Katie Huey. This episode was edited by Emma Scherzarko. Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Pairing Podcast to keep tabs on what we're up to. And feel free to send us any thoughts, questions, requests, and pairings of your own on our website, thepairingpodcast.com, via email at pairingpodcast at gmail.com, or on any social media platform. Come check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast, where you can pledge as little as $1 a month and get access to exclusive content, customized pairings from me, live streams, and more. Also, check out our merch store on our website at thepairingpodcast.com slash merch. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends. Thank you so much for listening to Pairing, where you come for the stories and stay for the wine.